0: Welcome into the Lockdown Knicks podcast. I'm Gavin Shaw, and today I will be joined by Mark Schindler, a man of many talents whose work is featured in many places. He writes about basketball for the WNBA and for Basketball News, does a variety of basketball podcasts, including one for Indy Cornrose, covering, you guessed it, the Indiana Pacers. And that's where we start with Mark today, talking about a potential Malcolm Brogdon trade and his fit with Emmanuel Quickly, potential Miles Turner trade, and whether or not Indiana would be willing to trade back from six. To eleven, maybe maybe Julius Randall is involved in that deal. Who knows? We'll get into it all right now with Mark. You are locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes right now. You are locked on Knicks and we wanted to thank you for making locked on Knicks your first listen today and every day. We're now available on all platforms, including, and you already guessed it, you can see my smiling face on YouTube youtube uh but who's talking to you i'm gavin shaw a play-by-play broadcaster during the year during the summer kind of a bum i mostly just talk about the new york knicks uh alex wolf is absent today but he is the editor-in-chief of the strickland please go check out all the fantastic knicks and draft coverage they have there on social media at the strict.land and uh i won't hold this up because we're about to be joined by mark schindler who is amazing as you're going to see to talk a whole bunch of permutations uh with the indiana pacers so we'll get into that Right now, all right, guys. As promised, we are joined by Mark Schindler, who, as we noted, has an extensive resume—a writer at Basketball News and for the WNBA—and has a variety of podcasts, including for Indie Cornrows, um, The Athletic, NBA Shows, Daily Ding, and of course, Tag the Role. We had your We had your partner Jake Rosen on uh, a little while ago, Mark. He sang your praises, and I like I kind of filed it away in the back of my head. I was like, "All right, we got it. We got to get Mark on at some point." So happy we could do this, man! Especially on the precipice of the draft. I'm sure you're busy, so really, really appreciate you uh, coming on.
1: Yeah, no, I appreciate you having me on, Gavin. I'm psyched to be here. Uh, you know, when when you reached out, I'm like, "All right, locked on Knicks." I can't complain, man. I'm I'm excited to be on. It's a, it's kind of it's one of the pinnacles of podcasting, making it on Lockdown.
0: Knicks, wow, so, wow, I, I'm, yeah. flat, I'm flattered, man. Um, all right, let's uh, let, let's start here uh, where the where the Knicks and Pacers intersect. Um, they they are two teams. I feel like we're, we're constantly having um Tony Easton, the host of yeah. Locked On Pacers, because it feels like the Knicks are always rumored to be going after Miles Turner. Now uh Malcolm Brogdon is in the mix. There's um some talk of the Knicks looking to trade up in the draft, more commonly looking up to number four. But I want to talk about that sixth pick because it wouldn't shock me if the Knicks want to make some kind of consolidation move. They already have uh, I believe seven guys still on their rookie contract on the team. They are not playing a lot of them because Tom Thibodeau isn't particularly interested in in playing all of them or at least all of them with any kind of consistency. Um, And it almost doesn't make sense for them to add someone at 11 who might not make his way into the rotation, but adding someone at six, whether it's a Keegan Murray falling that far or it's taking a, a shot at a Shaden sharp, or maybe I know A.J. Griffin rumored to fall a little bit more because of injuries, but maybe the Knicks are just in love with him. Maybe it's Benedict Matherin. I have no idea who it could be, but I wouldn't be surprised if the Knicks made that move up. Where do you think the Pacers are at a team that perennially looks to at least secure competitiveness? Where, where are they at in their thinking in terms of making that six pick versus potentially trading back in the draft?
1: Yeah, no, it's interesting. Uh Wells reported yesterday before game six of the finals that the Pacers had have been in discussions with the Kings to try and move up for the fourth pick with the intention of of, of going after Jaden Ivey. Um, I'm still reticent to uh to think that they're actually changing their direction, but by all accounts, we're starting to see more of they want to focus on um on you know more long-term future instead of what's happening next year i still tbd until it actually happens i'm not going to believe it because that just i mean i'm 25 right now that hasn't happened in 25 years being on planet earth so um you know that's uh it's asking for a lot uh but in terms of trading back i think i would be surprised by that unless um maybe a younger player or somebody becomes available or i i don't even know who, who i could consider with the six pick right now off the top of my head but like um, I do think like if there was something that got made very attractive to them, they would consider it. But, um, by all accounts, it does seem like they're pretty excited about having the sixth pick. Um, they were, I mean, they were definitely disappointed to not have the fourth. Cause I think they were slotted to have fourth or fifth in, in lottery odds, but,
0: um, yeah, I think that's where they're at right now. I guess given that more long-term vision, what do you think the temperature in the room is on Malcolm Brogdon, a guy who obviously has a pretty checkered injury history. I I think I I can't say I watched a lot of Pacers down the stretch. I would assume him and uh, Tyrese Halliburton fit, pretty well together, but also you have two guys who are a little bit similar in how they play just in terms of the cagey and maybe, I mean, obviously in the dream world, you'd pair Halliburton with someone like a Jaden Ivy, who just has that burst of athleticism and, and you have a little bit more of a complimentary backcourt. But do you think they still see him as a long-term piece and someone where they say, hey, we could bring in young guys, but he sort of allows you to maintain a competitive. Now we have to get blown away to move off of him or they're like, ah, it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world if someone threw us a first-round pick
1: yeah, my assumption right now, and just you know, based on things that have been reported, it seems like he's being viewed as more of a negative asset right now, which I think makes sense. Um, given the injury history, uh, given where he's at age-wise. And I I mean, and that's not to say that he's a bad player. Like, I think he's a very good player. We've seen uh negative contracts get moved with regularity, and that doesn't mean that the Pacers won't get anything back. But I do think in terms of what you're actually getting back, you're like, okay, maybe you're getting like a very late lottery pick at best, it feels like um obviously you are know, only gonna be salary filler back too but um i think that the pacers should be willing to move off of malcolm um like i, I mean i think that he, he played very small sample with with tyrese but i do think it's uh their fit hasn't been awesome to start like as good as tyrese was in his time in indiana he still had a lot of deferring which was kind of uh something that I would like to see change in this coming year. And part of the reason why I really want to see them lean into a youth movement and really lean into Tyrese is, you know, if you make that trade, trading Domas when we did um, lean into being a team that's going to be better in two or three years, not just right now. Because I think if you're just, if you still have Malcolm, uh, it I mean, he's a good enough basketball player where he's making an impact and you're not going, it's, it's hard to be a losing team when, when Malcolm's playing a, a part and he's healthy. Um, but I also think, again, like if you're trying to unlock more of uh, some of that wiring shift, maybe and in, in making Tyrese more of a primary option, then I, I think moving Malcolm would probably be for the best.
0: It seems like they've threaded that needle so well right over the last 15 years of never really fully yep. rebuilding, but always seeming to find a way to reload. I mean, first, like going from like the Reggie Miller, Stephen Jackson, Jermaine O'Neal teams into Paul George then that <laughs> into, and then that into whatever this team is. But eight. It, it's always been missing that sort of ceiling. And I, I think in some ways they're in a very similar position to the Knicks where they're looking for that move. They're a little further along potentially, but they're like, what, what is that move that takes us up another level? And in, in, in that vein, uh, can I present you with Julius Randle, um, a name that is also <laughs> not particularly hot on the trade market, a name that um, it's often reported, I think most recently by John Hollinger, that a lot of teams have been viewing as, as potentially as a negative asset, like, oh, maybe the Knicks attach a second round pick. I don't know if I necessarily buy that. I think I buy that there are plenty of teams around the NBA who just say, no way, we don't really want that guy in our locker room or we don't really want that guy taking up a large portion of our offense. But I do think there are teams maybe seeing it as like – hey, like that level of talent just isn't really readily available. There aren't a lot of free agents that just made a second-team All-NBA, especially ones making the kind of money that Julius Randle is currently making. Do you think the Pacers would potentially see him as a buy-low candidate either in a deal for Brogdon or Turner or a future draft pick? Or is he the kind of guy that they're like, if we're going to – go in this youth forward direction we don't want the next problem to become our problem where julius Randle wants to be the dude and all of a sudden that gets kind of tricky when you have more promising guys who deserve those touches
1: yeah well i mean just as an aside like i think julius is a definite bounce back guy like i think there were i mean as you're you're well aware there were a million things that compounded wrong for him this year um and i you know i i think that he's obviously not quite that guy that we saw the year before but um I also don't think that he's just that complete reversion to who, who he was this year as well, obviously overtaxed. I think that um, there's definitely real room for a team to look at him and think, okay, if we tamp down your role a little bit um, and we get you to buy back in on, on the defensive end again, and we surround you with better spacing talent and, um, you know, find better ways to use you. Then I think that, you uh, There could be real value in doing that, but I I agree with you. Like, I think it's gonna be more about okay, what teams are really strapped in ways to actually acquire talent. Like to me, Malcolm is very much somebody like uh Lakers last year would have made sense if Malcolm had been healthy, like a team that can really only trade into you know, trade uh contracts for 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 contracts back because they don't have a lot of flexibility. Um, and I think in some ways, like that's why Malcolm would make sense for for New York. Like, not I, I think New York has a lot more flexibility than they've probably gotten credit for. Um, unless, you know, it depends how you view New Orleans Noel's contract, but, uh, you know, it's, it's still <laughs> something you can throw in as, on top of things, but, um, I think that they would be a lot less open to trading for Julius now, unless they really view him as somebody who can get back to being that level of player. Um, but honestly, like it wouldn't have surprised me at all if that was a trade that they looked into, you know, prior to, to hitting, hitting resend with, uh, with everything, a reset with everything going on with Omos.
0: It would really uh, heat up the all-time greatest low-key rivalry in the NBA between him and Sabonis. I think if he if he went to the Pacers, yeah. uh, the, those games would be pretty epic. Um, I don't know why those two guys just really seem to hate each other. They do not like playing one another. Dude, of them. I always enjoy watching it. <laughs> it's like it's not because I remember like two years ago, no one was really talking about. it, But every time they play, I was like, they just like it, yeah. it's like they were occupying the same niche in the NBA, and they're like, exactly. no, I'm I'm the sixth best power forward in the league. No, nah, man, I'm the sixth best power forward. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. 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 All right. All right, guys, when we come back with Mark, we are going to continue talking Malcolm Brogdon trade, and uh, we'll eventually get into some stuff on a potential deal for Miles Turner. But first, I want to tell you about one of our old favorites. It's betonline.net. They're your number one source for all your betting stats and sports info. You can find all the latest sports developments, news, and odds, including this year's basketball championship matchup, the NHL Hockey Conference Finals, Major League Baseball, and, of course, all the latest fighting news from MMA and UFC to boxing. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sports wagering information, including live betting, esports, and more. And you can head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and action. They actually have odds up now on who's going to win the NBA championship a year from now. I think I told you a day ago I really like the Denver Nuggets. But if you want to get crazy, your New York Knicks, 150-1. to one. Who knows? They swing a trade for a star. RJ Barrett takes that next step. Things go right in the playoffs. Crazier things have happened. Well, maybe not crazier, but similarly crazy stuff. Anyways, BetOnline is where the game Starts. Uh, how, how do you feel about Brogdon's defense um, at this point in his NBA career? Because to me, that would be sort of the the swing um, with acquiring him for the Knicks. Because his ability to just be crafty and use his physicality in offense. And I, I know he's had kind of wild variance as a shooter, but I, I guess that I would assume later in his career that sort of averages out as like a solid, if not spectacular shooter. I guess all that is to say as he ages, I'm not super worried about him offensively, and maybe maybe that's wrong, but defensively, I think if you're acquiring him, you're saying this is almost an investment in Emmanuel quickly to some extent in that he allows quickly to do the things he does great where quickly has point guard responsibilities but doesn't have sort of Chris Paul-esque point guard yeah. responsibilities and that there's someone else to share that load. Offensively and defensively, you have someone who's who's big and strong and physical and smart who can take the tougher assignment on the other end. But I think that's contingent on Brogdon really not falling off a cliff um athletically because he's one of those guys who – um i think can't afford to lose like even like five to ten percent of his current foot speed and and just savviness on that end of the floor so how how do you think those two would fit together uh, as a backcourt particularly on on the defensive end of the court
1: i think part of the issue for me is i view malcolm as somebody who's much more like like he's in essence a combo guard but he's really a wing like he's a lot better defending up a position than he is defending down like i think uh i think his team defense can be good I think he can be solid at the point of attack, but it's mostly against bigger players. Like, he really struggles defending guards, especially at this stage. Um, so, to me, like, I don't think – like, I mean, even even this year, they would cross-match him and not not match him. Up. Either they'd put him on the slowest guard um, or they would really avoid at all costs to, to put him on guards. Um, I do think, like, his strength and wingspan can be really good, again, playing up. Like, they part of it was really wacky, and I didn't love how they did it, but they experimented having him defend Giannis the last two years, which, you know, that's – he he did his best. I think that's the best way to put it. But uh like I, I think that there's value in that. And and like you mentioned too, I think his biggest asset is his physicality. Like he's one for pound for pound, one of the strongest players in the NBA. Um that shows up in his drive game. Like after he came back from injury, I think he was averaging over 20 drives per game, which is you know, top notch right up there near the top of the league. Um the finishing off drives is pretty average to slightly below because he just doesn't have a lot of lift. I think it got a little bit better this year, if I remember correctly, but um like he's ideally to me somebody who is doing more stuff operating off second side or attacking off the catch ra- rather than you know running a ton of offense because he had a very high usage load to start the year I think he was around like uh 29 or 30 percent usage before he got injured this season that was with Domas on the roster too um so I think to me that's where one of my hang-ups would be uh with him on this roster just knowing how Tibbs likes to play his guys um Normally, I think that that trope can be a little bit overplayed. Um, but with Malcolm, like it's very, very much the case because if, given his play style is physical um, and that's what he leans into. Like, I think that's a very large contributing factor of how off injury he is. Um, yeah. So it would be, especially like if, if he's being brought in and he's going to be used the same way as an in Indiana, I think it would be, I mean, not a mistake because he, he would be an upgrade for sure. But I think that would just be tough in terms of, what that looks like is a long-term prognosis for sure.
0: No, and I think it's this tricky thing, right? It, it's, it's who should be handling the ball and who is actually handling the ball. That's one of the yeah. biggest questions for the New York Knicks, and that, that was true last year where, look, Alec Burks was playing – Point guard for thirty-four yeah. minutes a night, and and this player well, who so I yeah that's who right I really like, who is really good, was just being grossly misused and asked like especially late in games to create, and he finished the year shooting something like thirty-four percent on layups, which was it's not not what you want. Yeah. Um, and and Brockton is is this interesting proposition in that he's far more qualified than a Burks to carry that role, but when you're trying to turn R.J. Barrett into an All Star. And someone like Emmanuel quickly is showing shades of of making that next step and at least being interesting in his ability to really generate a lot of separation and get to the rim. And that's still very much TBD whether he can do that over the course of 82 games as a starter against defenses that are fully locked in. But it's a kind of a situation where you need to see that if you're the Knicks is Tibbs going to say, Hey, we're giving this young buck the reins and and Malcolm at this point in your career, we feel like you're best off the ball. And we feel like you're best with, with RJ and IQ scrambling defenses. And you get to go like use that strength against a defense that's out of sorts. Um, or is he saying right now, Malcolm Brogdon is the better player than Emmanuel quickly. He's a better player than RJ Barrett. And he has to be the number one guy. And it's that weird thing where it's like, are you are you trying to be average right now, or are you striving to hopefully be good down the road? And and maybe that's sort of the question we keep coming back to that both the Knicks and Pacers are are kind of dealing with.
1: Yeah, no, I think that's such a great point too because I think uh, you know it's obviously even if you're moving somebody off ball, like you can have higher usage even if you're off the ball, like yeah. it's. Uh, so I think what will be interesting to me is I and I wrote about this uh, as the year went down. Like I am a believer in Emmanuel Quick Lead as a lead guard. Like I think it's less so about like is he going to be the guy who organizes your offense in the half court. I don't I don't know. Like I think that's something that we need to see. Um but he did get better with his reads and just doing things as a playmaker this year. Um and the biggest thing for me is just can they actually f- mean in a transition? Like sorry for swearing on your show, but like that's been one of the biggest issues. Like we see it happen like it'll happen with the bench when he's running the bench unit, but like that's what the starting unit needs to embody too. And I think that was a large issue for me this year. Um can they lean into that with the starting unit if they move quickly in there? Because like even if he's not, quote unquote, a point guard, like the things that he does, uh, really pushing the pace, uh, generating pain touches, even if he isn't quite getting to the rim, just like the quickness with which he does everything allows him to do a lot of things that are primary like, you know, in terms of just setting setting the, the defense into rotation even slightly. And I think um, I a lot would just depend on like how willing is is Tibbs to prioritize that.
0: Yeah. I think it's, it's one of those things where, and this is, this is what we keep saying on this show. So I won't, I won't beat the point home, but you just need to see if he can do it at a certain point. And, and that's, yeah. that's been the bummer the last few years. We haven't gotten to see it. And then, and then we do see it, but you, you need to see it over a larger sample size. Um, I guess that being said, we, we got to do it. It's, it's, it's a Knicks guy and a Pacers guy. Got to check in on Miles yeah. Turner, the uh, forever future Nick, who maybe yeah. will never play for the Knicks, but um, seemingly the, again this is this is all vibes this is all like hearsay to some extent but seemingly the vibe right now is mitchell robinson some semi, semi-unlikely fairly unlikely i don't quite know how to define it um to come back to the knicks and in turn they're they're on the market for a new center and if they want to have uh julius randall play power for for them um which probably they do they still desperately could use a shooter at that spot. And even if they have OB Toppin playing power forward for them, I think it would be really interesting to have someone who could space the floor. And then it allows you to use OB where he's at his best as as sort of a a pick and roll guy and a dive guy and someone who could spray passes around on, on the short roll. And because of that, Turner is still interesting, but, he was this guy. I remember we talked, we were talking to Tony about this early in the season, where he had that big stretch of games, right? He had the 40 plus point game, might have even been against the Knicks. Like, I can't remember. It was um, Wizards,
1: but he, he also had a really good game against the He Knicks. had like
0: eight threes against the Knicks in yeah. a game or so. That was, it was just terrible. But, um, and he, he had like repeatedly these talks of like, oh, I thought I was as ready to ascend. I thought I was ready to be, if not an all star, just a sub all star, average 20 points per game, get a lot of touches. And right after that, it sort of settled down and he, he sort of became who he always is. Where do you think? he is as a player. And do you think there'll always be somewhat of an identity crisis there where he does these, these niche things extremely well, but he sees himself as something more and that maybe sabotages him from being at his best at doing those little things really great.
1: Yeah, I think uh, it's tough with miles because again, he went out with the foot injury. Um And I, I, give like a little bit of uh, just a buy with consistency this year, just given uh, the state that the team was in, how weird some of the stuff was. Like, Karis LeVert just really, uh, it, he went look, from looking like somebody who could potentially lead the offense last year to just somebody who was, like, not even making basic, you know, uh, kicks as a passer this year. It was very weird. I've never seen a player, you know, change up that much as a, as a playmaker, you know, across, like, a six-month span. But, um, you know, I think it's tough with Miles because, like, even – when and, and, like, Rick Carlisle said as much multiple times this year. Like, it's not even that – um, like he could be a star in his role, I think. And he he has been for much of his career, to be fair. Like he's a really damn good defender when he's healthy. But the problem is like so often, like he will the I mean, he'll he'll defer sometimes. And I think we saw that as an issue throughout this year. Like in that game against the Wizards, it wasn't just Miles getting a million touches, like he was doing the stuff that he can to be to pick his spots and be aggressive, playing largely off the ball, taking his shots when he got them. Like that's the kind of stuff that we've been wanting to see all the time. And I think, like, I, I'm there with you. I think for me where I understand the identity crisis is, like, you know, the way that um, things got handled between him and Domas was, like, very clearly untenable for a while, um, I think. you know, and, it is, and it's more so the way that they, they talked about it. Like, they never, as an organization, viewed that as a positive. And, like, even if you don't view having two bigs in your starting lineup as a positive, you have to act like it. And the team never did like they always talked about it like, oh, you know, well, we have an interesting roster construction or like I mean, like even Rick said at the beginning of the year, like, that it prov- prov- provides some challenges for them. And like not that it's a lie, like it's true. It definitely provides some more challenging pathways. But if that's what you're presenting as a public front, your players know that they're going to see that. So I get where Miles is coming from with that. I just don't think that role is changing at all on the Knicks. Um, so that would be interesting like i i do think like he could he could bring a lot more um than mitch does in some ways especially who mitch was for large swaths of of 2021-22 um which was disappointing uh, to say the least but um I, him and julius as a as a as a processing and passing front court would be uh would be interesting to me uh because like julius is a really good is, is a really good passer and he has he has good vision but it's not quick. Like everything is, has to be held, has to yeah. be seen. Um, and miles is like, I, I would not say that he's like a low fuel player or anything, but it's taken him a while to get to where he's at in terms of, you know, seeing some things on the court and, and making the right moves. So I think like there's, there's room for that to work. And it, I honestly, like, I wouldn't say that it's going to be better or worse than the Mitch Rob pairing. I think there's ways it could go in, in either direction. Um, and just given how that situation's gone, like, I don't think it's the worst thing in the world if they ended up making that deal.
0: Yeah. I think I'm, I, I mean, this is this is also just for a at in terms of every potential power forward center combination. But I'm definitely more intrigued if Obi Toppins the guy there because yeah, he is agree. unlike Randall. He is that quick processor and he is someone who makes fast decisions on the run. Just very very intuitive player in a way where Randall, to your point, I, I think I think it's a great one. Just has to be slow and meticulous and and if you're the Knicks and you're already again, maybe have high skill guys at one through three, but at certainly at an athleticism deficit at one through three, especially if they don't find a way to trade up for someone like a Jaden Ivy. I think that that quick processing from your bigs becomes even more essential to get guards at, extra step when a defense is scrambled and randall was almost the worst possible fit with who the knicks had on the perimeter because there was no one to make up for it when he was slow to make a pass out um and it was why he was much better i think a year before where guys around him were just sort of stationary and it was all right you got to do everything and that was almost easier for him than saying you got to do some things and you got to fit in a little bit more All right, guys, that's it for today with Mark. Uh, I know, I'm bummed too. I had a whole lot of fun talking to him. But, 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 uh, not only is Mark an Indiana Pacers expert, he is also an NBA draft expert. So we will be back with Mark next week to discuss uh, everything draft, including some thoughts on why Tari Eason might just be a better prospect than Jeremy Sohan. And a deep dive on why Jalen Duran might just be the best possible pick for the New York Knicks. So, all that to we'll look forward to next week, including a whole lot of great coverage leading up to the draft. But until then, I'm Gavin. Talk to you guys soon. Peace out.